Hey, look, let me welcome you here to Big Valley Grace again. Welcome to all of you that are over in the venue. We're glad you're with us. Jackie, thank you for leading worship over there and the whole team that makes that happen. Again, if you're watching online and there are thousands who do, especially on a weekend like this, I'm glad that you're with you, uh, with us. We love you on our online campuses and all of that. And um, take your Bibles, okay? Turn to John chapter 19. And then probably right next door, you got John chapter 20. I want you to just kind of kind of put your fingers in there. If you don't have a Bible, everything's okay. I'm going to put the, all the words will come up on the jumbotrons or they're inside of your, your notes because it's important for me that, uh, that you actually see what is written in the Word of God. Before I get into this, let me just say thank you. Um, you know, to make a, a weekend like, like this work, I mean, we do, we do this every weekend, but, but to make one like this work the way it does, it literally takes um, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who volunteer. And uh, they might be in the choir or the orchestra. They, they could be in all of our children's ministries right now. Uh, they could be out at the Welcome Center. They're in here, uh, you know, ushering and greeting. You, you just have just a whole bunch of people, tech people running cameras and lights and all of the, the, the stuff. And I know that some of you were here last night and you served last night and you're back today just to, to worship. Some of you I know are gonna stay after this gathering and you're gonna serve someplace and one of the things that makes this such a great place is, uh, is you, family members. You, you, you get it. You understand how important it is that when the church gathers together like this, that it really takes an army, an army of people who are willing to sacrifice and give up a little bit of their time uh, to, to be a blessing to others. I mean, there's somebody holding babies right now, a whole bunch of people, <laughs> like there's one person. I mean, there's just like an army of people holding babies. There, 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 there's just an army of people teaching little children in Sunday school classes. I mean, up here you saw 100 people. And that doesn't include all of those behind the scenes. I mean, just unbelievable the, 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 the love and the joy that I get to see in the life of the family here. Thank you again for serving. So... I do this every, uh, every Easter because I want to make sure everybody understands what, what's happening, okay, before I read this. Jesus dies on Friday. He was crucified on Friday. He's put up on a cross on Friday, and he dies. And uh, we here at Big Valley Grace had two gatherings here on Friday to remember that uh, holy and, and sacred moment. It says this in John chapter 19. Okay, you there? Look at verse 38. Afterward, after Jesus died, it's still Friday, okay? Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. Pilate was basically the man who had the authority to, uh, to crucify Jesus, at least earthly uh, authority. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and he took the body away. 
With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. And you can read about that, that little meeting that happened at night in John chapter 3. Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion, crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Here's a picture of what we believe is that actual, that actual uh, really it was a cave or the actual place that Jesus was, was buried. I've been there many, many times. I've given tours many times of that place. Now, do we know for you know, 100% certain that that was a tomb? No, we don't. But we're pretty sure. We're pretty sure that's the actual place where, you know, uh, John 19, you know, 38 through 42 re records. So here you've got these two men. You've got Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and they took the body of Jesus off the cross. They wrapped him up with these 75 pounds of aloes and myrrhs and these burial clothes, and they put him into this tomb. They sealed up the, 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 the tomb. But something happened three days later that literally changed the course of history. These, these two men thought that that was gonna be Jesus' final resting place. I'm sure all of Jerusalem thought that at the time. Now that, that, that's where Jesus is gonna you know, be, be, be buried, that, that's it. But something happens three days later that literally changed the course of history. Something happened three days later that really brought all of us here today, the thousands of people that will come here this weekend. Literally what happened three days later is the reason why over a billion people right now are doing the same thing you're doing. They're, they're remembering and worshiping Jesus. It literally, by the way, changed my life. It not only just changed history, big deal, but it literally changed my life, what took place three days later. And for most of you here, most of you over in the venue, most of you watching online, maybe you're out in the cafe or whatever, it, it changed your life too. And I believe that by the time I'm done, it's gonna change some of your lives too. Last night, a whole lot of lives were changed. A whole lot. And maybe, just maybe, Something might happen to you. So let's read John's account of this life-changing moment, okay? Turn over to John chapter 20. Maybe it's on the same page or maybe it's one page over in your Bible. So Jesus dies on Friday. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take the body off of the cross, put him in this tomb, right? Early on Sunday morning while it was still dark. So Friday, Saturday, it's now Sunday, okay? Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. 
She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That was John, okay? She said, hey, Peter, John, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple, John, started out for the tomb. I mean, what? What are you talking about he's not there? What are you talking about the stone was rolled away? And these two guys book it out of the house. First four, I just love the word of God. It's so technical. They were both running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So obviously, John was in better shape. He had been doing his elliptical, you know, down at the gym. He was kind of the Carl Lewis of the group. Peter, maybe a little overweight. He falls behind. And John, make sure it's recorded. I got there first. Just, just want you to know. I, I, I'm the one who got there first. <laughs> John stooped and looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. So imagine this, he gets to that tomb and there they are, all the linen wrappings. And he, he's just kind of pondering this. He's just kind of taking it in. Not Peter. Then Simon Peter arrived and he just went in. Get out of the way! That's kind of Peter's personality. John's, John's kind of checking it out. Peter says, get out of the way, man. You ain't going in, I'm going in. And he's in there. You can just imagine this guy. <laughs> he's sucking wind, but he's in there. And he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Huh. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, John also went in. After he had spent some time pondering all this, after he spent some time looking at the burial clothes, Peter's in there. Now he walks in after spending some time thinking about it. And he believed. Something clicked in his mind. Something. This past week, I was thinking about how life is full of, of empty promises. I mean, every day we see commercials on TV that promise us that if we purchase the product that they're selling, then we'd be you know, more happy, or we'd be better looking, or more sexy, or we'll get rich, or we'll be in better health, or our food will taste better, or whatever it is. Promises, 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 right? And we all know that they're they're just empty. The government is always promising that if we'd support their legislation, then our lives will be better off, right? During the election season, which we're in now, politicians are always promising you all kinds of things if you'd simply vote for them. And we all know they're empty promises. Most of us have been let down by somebody that made a promise or a commitment to us and they never followed through on it for whatever reason. And it doesn't take long before you've been fooled enough times or even let down enough times to know that life is full of empty promises. 
which then can lead you to wonder if the same thing is true about God. I mean, God makes all kinds of promises to us. There's over 7,000 promises between these two leather-bound covers. And it's easy in the, you know, in the culture we live in to go, well, well maybe God's promises are, are empty too. Here's the deal, and I wrote this down for you. On the first Easter Sunday, instead of promises full of emptiness, God gave us emptiness that was full of promise. Now, what do I mean by this? What do I mean by God gave us emptiness that was full of promise? Well, there are three promises in our Easter story that are marked by emptiness, and we just read about them, and I want to talk about them. I want to pack them a little bit for you. The first one is, is that we, we have an empty cross. And there's a promise behind that empty cross. And I want you to understand what that is, what the, what the why is behind that. And then we have empty clothes in our story. And that's a weighty thought. And I want you to understand the promise behind what it means that those Clothes, those burial, burial clothes were empty. And then obviously we have the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. And I want you to understand the implications behind that also, because these are all three really, really weighty. And so hopefully in the next few minutes, um, the Lord will use these in your, your life, okay? Let me explain what I'm talking about as it relates to this. Let's look at the empty cross. The empty cross promises forgiveness for all your sins. I want you to look at John 19 again. Look at verse 38. Look at our text. Afterward, after Jesus died on Friday, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. And what that means is the cross is now empty. And that's a weighty thought. There, there's a lot to this moment that the cross is now empty. Now, why is this important? Why is the empty cross important? It's important because the empty cross means it actually there was a death on it. It means that Jesus actually died. Beloved, you need to understand that the Romans were experts in killing people on crosses. Those Roman soldiers that put Jesus on that cross, that was their job. They could have been known as SEAL Team 9, and all SEAL Team 9 did was kill people on crosses. That's all they did. That's what they were trained to do. They were experts in killing people on crosses. They never would have allowed Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus to take anybody off of the cross if they weren't dead. There's no way these Roman soldiers would have, let, would have let Jesus come off of the cross if he wasn't dead. He was dead. 
And I say that because there's a lot of liberal theologians out there who uh, float this idea that Jesus was on the cross, but when they took him off of the cross, he really wasn't dead. He was just in this like coma thing. And then when they put him in the cool of a tomb, you know, he finally came to and walked out. It's idiotic. The Romans knew how to kill people. They were experts at it. And that empty cross means that Jesus died on that cross. And by the way, it was a horrible death. Jesus' blood was, was everywhere. It was probably a, a very gory place to be. Remember, he had been beaten to a pulp, which means he's probably blood coming out of his nose, blood coming out of his ears, maybe blood coming out of his eyes. Before I gave my life to Christ, I was in a few rumbles. I'd been hit a few times. I was bleeding. Oh, that's happened to you. Well, imagine Jesus being pommeled by these big Roman soldiers. There was blood everywhere just because of the beating he took. Then they put a crown of thorns on his head. And if you've ever cut your scalp, wow. Boy, your, your head just bleeds like crazy. Now he's got this crown of thorns on his head, so not only is he bleeding from being beaten, but now he's bloodied up because of this crown of thorns. We're told that the Romans whipped him. Now his back and side and legs are just flowing with blood everywhere. Then they put him on a cross and put nails in his hands and feet, and so you know there was blood gushing from those parts of his body. And then we know that the Roman soldiers jabbed a spear into his side where liquid and blood came pouring out. When these two men got to the cross, there was blood everywhere. There was blood all over the cross. There was blood all over the ground. There was blood all over Jesus. And I'm sure by the time these two guys got Jesus to the tomb, there was blood all over Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. It would be impossible for those two guys not to be covered in Jesus' blood. And I'm sure they had blood all over their feet because there was blood all at the foot of the cross. This was a horrible, horrific moment. Now, why is this important? Why is all this blood so important? Well, Hebrews chapter nine says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In the Old Testament, uh, you know, once a year they had to kill a, you know, a ram or a goat or an ox, and this lamb or goat or ox or whatever it was had to be perfect. And they would sacrifice this animal and that blood would cleanse their sin. Now the problem was, it was the blood of a goat. It was the blood of a ram or whatever. That's why they had to do it every year. 
You see, the only thing that could cleanse us of our sin is blood, and not just any blood. It had to be perfect blood. It had to be God's blood. So the fact that the cross was empty, meaning that Jesus died, promises us that our sins can be forgiven. Let me unpack this for you just a, a little bit, okay? Here's a verse I use often in, when I'm counseling people. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, who can say I have kept my heart pure and I'm clean and without sin? <laughs> Anybody want to stand up? Say me. I'll let you do it as long as your spouse is sitting next to you. Because they, they can clear that up in a, in a heartbeat. The, the, the answer's nobody. It's one of the things we all have in common in here. Look, we may be different ages, we may live in different parts of the city or the county, we may have different jobs, we, our skin color may be different, we may have more money than somebody else in our bank accounts or whatever all that might be, we did drive different cars, I don't know. But the one thing I do know that we all have in common is in, in here is that there isn't anybody who can stand up and say, I'm clean, I'm without sin, I'm pure, come on, I've never blown it. Nobody can do that. It's something that we all have in common. We, we've all blown it, all of us. We, we've all said things that we knew were wrong. We all did things that we knew were wrong. We all thought things that we knew were wrong. And the reason why we knew they were wrong was because God gave us this beautiful gift called a conscience. It's his gift to you. And that gift he gave to you is simply to remind you you're sinful. Now, obviously, some people are more sinful than others. I get it. Nobody in here is like Charlie Manson, right? I hope. If there are, you know, security. I mean, I get it. Some people are more goofed up than others. But the bottom line is we're all goofed up. The bottom line is, is that all of us have been impacted by, by sin. And here's the bummer. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, sin separates us from God. And by the way, that, that word wages right there is a really interesting word in the Greek. It's, a, it's an accounting term. Um, imagine you worked, I don't know, down at Taco Bell. And when you went in and signed all the documents and whatever, you agreed upon a wage. And let's just say it's 10 bucks an hour. And so at the end of 40 hours, you earned a wage. You earned $400. Now the government comes along and takes a bunch of it and then they waste it on stuff because they don't care about your money. But you, you, you end up with something. It's what's due you. It's your wage. You don't have to thank the manager for giving you the check. Might be a nice courteous thing to do. But you don't have to thank him. You earned it. You worked 40 hours. You rolled up all those burritos. You made all those tacos. That's what you earned. And the Bible says, here's what you've earned because of your sin. It's death. It's what's due you. It's your wage. Every one of us in this room have been impacted because of sin. It's brought death, certainly physical death, but way more importantly, spiritual death. 
And the only cure for sin is blood, royal blood, perfect blood, God's only son kind of blood. You can't fix the problem of sin. I don't care how you know, good you are or nice you are or how much money you just put in that green basket. I don't care how many mission trips you go on. Being baptized can't do it. Serving in the church can't do it. Playing guitar can't do it. Singing in the choir can't do it. Holding a baby right now can't do it. There's nothing that can cure you from the disease of sin other than royal, perfect, holy blood. Nothing. Romans chapter three says, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God, how? When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his son, and look at that next three words, shedding his blood. You gotta understand this, beloved. Your sins aren't forgiven because Jesus was born. I mean, it's special to you know, get to the Christmas season and remember that Jesus came and born in a little town called Bethlehem. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't, that doesn't save you from your sins. Your sins aren't forgiven because Jesus lived a perfect life. Your sins aren't forgiven because Jesus taught some really great things. Your sins are forgiven and thus you're saved simply because of the blood of Jesus. God gave his only son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice a bloody, bloody sacrifice that your sins might be forgiven. And that's what that empty cross promises you. That Jesus died. He shed his blood. And not just any blood. But it was royal blood, perfect blood. Beloved, salvation came at a huge price, the bloody stained body of Jesus Christ. And when you look at the empty cross, it tells you that Jesus died. It tells you that he shed his blood for you. It promises that your sins might be forgiven. Now, why? Why did God send his son Jesus to die on a cross for you? I don't, I don't get it, but I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died a horrific, bloody death for us. You know why he did it? Because he loves you. You see, you were made in his image. Genesis chapter, chapter one and two tell us that God creates everything. You were actually created in the very image of God. You. God created everything, cows and you know, birds and cockroaches and worms and eagles, but only human beings were made in his image. You're special to him. And when sin entered into the, the picture, it brought death, it brought spiritual death. And for some of you, like me, a long time ago, the death is so great, you walked in here today or you're watching online right now and you don't even believe in God, do you? You don't believe that you're made in his image. You believe that, I don't know, a billion or four billion or eight billion years ago, bang! 
There was nothing and then there was something. And then two molecules got together and there was gaseous nishish nushish nish. And, and, and next thing you know, something poked its head out of some slime and saw a fruit thing on a tree and walked out and grew legs and here you are today. In other words, I used to believe, like many of you, that you're just simply educated goo. You're simply a little beyond the evolutionary chain than an orangutan, right? No. You were actually made and created in the very image of God. And yes, sin impacted your life to the point to where you don't believe in him, but you know what? It didn't stop God from loving you. He loves you deeply. He loves you so much he would send his son who would die on a cross and shed his blood that your sins might be forgiven. The empty cross is good news, beloved, because it means that Jesus gave his life for you and if you'd simply call out to him and confess your need for him, he'll come into your life and he'll cleanse you of the sin that separated you from him. That's what the empty cross promises. Now for a moment, let me move off of that and I want to move to the, the second thing that was empty and that was the empty clothes. And they promise for those who stay close to hope, for those that stay close to God during those dark days. This one was super interesting to me as I was kind of unpacking it in my brain this past week. In John chapter 20, it says Peter and the other disciple, John, ran, uh, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. He stooped in looking and saw the linen wrappings lying there. In other words, he sees the empty burial clothes. Got it? They're empty. Just like the cross was empty. Now you have these empty burial clothes. And here's what I want you to do, if you can. I want you to engage your imagination. I want you to imagine your John for just a moment. On Friday, he actually saw Jesus on the cross. He was an eyewitness to it. On Friday, he actually saw the blood that was all over the ground. He saw the blood all over the cross. He saw the blood all over Jesus. He actually saw it. On Friday, he actually saw Jesus die. On Friday, he actually saw Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take that body off of the cross. On Friday, he actually saw Jesus wrapped up in these burial clothes. On Friday, he actually saw the stone rolled in front of the tomb. Now, now on Friday, John didn't know what you and I know. Okay, you got that? He didn't know that Jesus was going to walk out of the tomb on Sunday. He didn't know that. So on Friday, as he saw the wrapped body of Jesus being put into the grave, it had to be a bummer, right? I mean, all of his hope is in Jesus. All of his faith is in Jesus. He'd given up basically, you know, the last three and a half years of his life to follow Jesus. His future was in Jesus. And now Jesus is dead. He's wrapped up in these burial clothes. Remember, he doesn't know what's going to happen on Sunday. He doesn't know. All he knows is Jesus is dead. This wasn't what John thought was going to happen. This wasn't John's plan for his life. 
Now here's what I was wondering. I know what John did on Friday. And I know what John did on Sunday. What I was wondering is, what did he do on Saturday? What was John doing? It bugged me. Things like that bugged me. And I began to think, man, what did he do? His whole life has been shattered. He's had this horrible moment. He sees his best friend just bloodied up on a cross. He sees him taken down and wrapped up in these burial clothes and put into this tomb and this big rocks in front of it. He knows he's dead. What'd he do on Saturday? What would you have done? Think about it. When things don't go the way you think they ought to go, what's your usual response? When God allows some bummer to happen in your life, how do you usually respond? Jesus said this. It's the weirdest, goofiest, craziest promise he ever made. Nobody's ever claimed it because you don't need to claim it. He said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. That's a promise. Jesus promises you and 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 you. Hey, the standard equipment of life are bummers and trials. You're gonna get kidney punched, man. Life isn't gonna go the way you always think it's gonna go the way you think it ought to go. It's just what you get in life, right? Jesus promises it. That's not, I didn't write that. That's just what the word of God says. My question is, when the bummers hit your life or your family or your business or whatever it is, how do you usually respond? Let me put it to you this way. When the Fridays of life happen, how do you respond? Here's what I do know about John. Bummer happens. His life is devastated. Here's what I do know. He stayed close because he's there on Sunday. He's there. And because he didn't, you know, go off and pout and moan and gripe and complain, you know, God, why'd you let this happen, man? I just blew the last three and a half years of my life following that guy around. Are you kidding me now? He's dead. My life's over. They're probably going to come after me now because they know I'm one of his disciples. Hey, I know he was depressed. I know he was bummed out. I know his life was shattered, but he stayed close. He stayed near. And because he stayed close, he got to experience the greatest day ever. He got to experience Sunday. And let me encourage you 
that Fridays are going to happen. You're going to have bummers in your life, in your family, in your business, whatever it might be. I don't know. And you got you got a choice to make. You're going to walk away from God. You're going to be all ticked and upset, not go to church, not read your Bible, not pray, you know, badmouth the pastor, you know, or whatever. Or are you going to go, you know what, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to stay close. I'm going to stay close. Because you know what? There's a Sunday coming. You're going to pull out of it. You're going to come out of it. For some of you, maybe the reason why you've never experienced a Sunday yet, some tragedy happened in your life, you had a Friday in your life, and maybe you've never experienced a Sunday yet, is because maybe you just haven't stayed near. You haven't stayed close. You see, here's the deal. John runs to that tomb, and he looks in, and he's thinking to himself, had to be, you know, if somebody would have stole this body, they just would have taken the whole body with all the linen cloths and all the stuff, and they just would have got out of there. Nobody would have taken the time to unwrap all of the, the, the burial clothes and then take the, 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 the one piece that was on his face and fold it all up and you know make it look all neat. Nobody would do that. If somebody was going to steal that body, they're just going to grab the body and run out the door, Right? So as he's looking at all the burial clothes, he hasn't seen Jesus yet. He doesn't know what's gonna happen on Sunday. It was the burial clothes that he looked at that made him go, whoa, wait a minute, I get it. He couldn't see the end results yet. He's gonna see Jesus. He's gonna hang out with Jesus. He's gonna touch Jesus. That's gonna happen. But it wasn't that that made him believe. He looked at this pile of clothes that were, were empty. On this first Easter Sunday, God took burial clothes, a tangible reminder of like the worst day of John's life. And God uses that to do something here. When doubts or fears well up inside, remember the empty clothes. And last but not least, we have the empty tomb or the empty cave. Okay, the empty cross, it promises forgiveness because he died on it, shed his blood on it. The empty clothes promise you hope. Hope that Sunday's coming. And now we have the empty tomb and it promises eternity. It promises forever to those who would put their faith in the one who conquered death. Look at John 20 again. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. He wasn't there. The tomb was empty. And here's the deal. Most people, uh, I think today, hope for a long and happy life, right? For those of us that are getting up in age, you know, we meet with our financial guy and we say, hey, listen, does my retirement gonna make it till I'm 80 or 85? We're trying to calculate just, just, just that. Are, are we gonna make it? We're thinking about 
you know, what's gonna happen down here on planet Earth. But Jesus offers so much more. He offers forever. He offers eternity. The empty tomb promises you eternal life. Listen to what the scriptures say in John, 1 John chapter five. It says, and this is the testimony. And that's basically to say, Here, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Let me wrap this thing up for you. Let me give it to you in one nice little, little package, okay? God has given us eternal life. Pastor, how can we have eternal life? Man, I was just out at Lakewood last week. I was just at Scenic the other day. There are, there are you know, cemeteries everywhere all over the, the planet. What do you mean eternal life? Well, well, you gotta keep reading. And this life, this eternal life, this forever life is in his son. Remember the one who died on the cross and shed all that blood everywhere? He who has the Son, he who has given their life to the Son, he who has surrendered their life over to the Son, uh, he who has you know, made the Son the CEO of their life, he who has said, you know what, no longer my will, Lord, but your will. I, I'm, I'm just trying to phrase it in lots of different ways. He who has the Son, he who has given their life over to the Son, and you know, they've, they've humbled themselves and, and said, I need you. They have the life. Why? Because when you get the sun, you get all the blood. And you got to have the blood to have your sins forgiven. You got to have the blood to have the relationship between you and God restored. He who does not have the sun means you don't have the blood. Guess what? You don't have the life. That's one of the, the clearest Statements that you're going to find in this big, thick book about what the whole point of this book is about. Look, that empty tomb says to you and I, hey, look, you want to live forever? Just like Jesus, he conquered death. Here it is. It, God just wants to give it to you. If you have the son, you got the life. It doesn't say if you have the son and you live a perfect life. It doesn't say that, because if it said that, then we're all doomed. It doesn't say, well, if you have the son and, and you're baptized, you have the life. It doesn't say that. Well, if you have the son and you, know, you put a, some money in the offering basket, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, well, if you have the son and you're a member of Big Valley Grace or some other church, it doesn't say that. Doesn't say, hey, if you have the son and, and you know, you, you, you read your Bible every day. Doesn't say that. It just says, do you have the son? Have you humbled yourself and given your life to the son? If you've done that, then you have the son. The, all of that blood that he shed on that cross has come and cleansed you of your sin, which then restores you in your relationship with your creator. If you don't have the son, the bottom line is then you just don't have life. Listen to these words of, of Jesus. 
He was talking to a good friend by the name of Martha. Martha had just lost her brother. His name was Lazarus, and it says this. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And I think if Jesus was standing here today, he'd say the same thing to you. Do do you believe it? Do you believe that there's eternal life in me? Do you believe that you could live forever if you surrendered life over to me? Look, Jesus is way more than just a great teacher. He's way more than just a great man. He's way more than, I don't know, a, a great prophet. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And what's interesting is, Jesus didn't say to Martha, Martha, I want you to know, I am able to resurrect your brother. He didn't say that. He could have, but he didn't. What he said to her is, I am resurrection. It's me. God is able to raise your dead soul back to life again. Let me take us back to Romans chapter six. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Remember I read that? But the free gift of God. You see that term wages? Remember, that's what's due you. It's what you've earned. And then there's a kind of this play on words. Here's what you've earned. But God has something you can't earn. God has something you really don't deserve. God has a free gift. It's free. And that is eternal life. And obviously the only way we can have this eternal life is our sins got to be forgiven by the blood, which is why this eternal life is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See? The empty cross serves as a powerful reminder that Jesus rose from the grave never to die again. And he promises that if you'd believe in him, then you'd live with him forever. Now here's the deal. Before I wrap this thing up, and we got a huge party for all of you, those of you that were baptized and you brought all your family members, I'll tell you what, that party, our bashes are, are just fantastic. Last night, that's, just, that's a great party over there. For the rest of you, we got stuff out there, blah, 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 but bap, those of you that were baptized and your families and your friends, people you brought, make sure you make it over in the fireside room, got food, got all kinds of stuff for you. But it would really be crummy. In fact, I think it would almost be sinful if I didn't give you a chance to respond to maybe what the Holy Spirit's doing in some of your lives right now. Last night, there was a whole bunch of people. I got cards in my office, just a bunch of people. And so this is what I want you to do. Just close your eyes for a moment, okay? I don't want you to pray. I don't want you to do anything right now. I just want, I want to get you alone. Don't worry about who's sitting next to you. Don't worry about your spouse. Don't worry about your parents. Don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Right now, it's just you and I right now. And if you're here, and man, for the first time, man, you, you go, wow, I get it. I get it. I need Jesus in my life to forgive me of my sin. I need Jesus in my life to secure my eternal future. I need Jesus. That's all I want you to do, right where you're at. 
just want you to pray this prayer, okay? I'm gonna make it up. You don't find it in the Bible, but here's the deal. You gotta mean it. You gotta be committed to it because God knows. Just quietly in your heart say, Jesus, I get it. I need you in my life to cleanse me of my sin. So right now, I surrender my life over to you. I'm no longer gonna be the CEO of my life. You are. My life is yours. Now, keep your eyes closed for a second. So I can rejoice with those of you that maybe prayed that. Maybe there wasn't anybody. I don't know. I don't know what God's doing in here right now. But if you prayed that, would you do me a favor and just kind of maybe stick your hand up so I could hip hip parade? Yeah, I see you, ma'am. Just stick your hand up. Yeah, a bunch of you up there, right here in the front. Yeah, right over here, right over here. How about in the mezzanine? Yeah, yeah, I see you. Yeah, I got you, got you over here, man, up in the balcony. Anybody up there? Yeah, yeah, got you, got you over here. All right, everybody look up here real quick. Man, there was just a lot of hands. Okay, listen, listen, here's the deal. Um, I, I want you to take that communication card, okay? Let, let, let me see one of these things, yeah. This is what I want you to do. In just a minute, moment, we're gonna get up and you're gonna drop all of these in the connect boxes. But if you prayed, and you just gave your life to Christ, here's what I want you to do. Up in the corner somewhere, just take a pen or a pencil and write a, just put a square up there. And these will be given to me, and what that tells me is, is that you're one of those that raised your hand. You gave your life to Christ this morning. I want to put it up in the corner, okay? And I'll be given those, and, and, and I'll, I'll spend some time praying for you, and if you would take that card out to our welcome center, we got a really, really nice, high-quality Bible we'll put in your hands. You just go out there and give them this card, and we got a got some stuff we'll give to you, but we got this really, it's, it's high-quality Bible. Just give it to them, and man, we'd love to meet you, and we'll give you the Bible, and, and then I'm gonna get back to you. I'll email you or snail mail you or whatever, as long as I can read the thing. And guys, man, I don't know. There's a lot of guys in here that know hieroglyphics. You just don't know how to spell in ways I can read it. So make sure I can read it, and that way I can email you, okay? Or if you don't have an email address, I'll snail mail you. I don't care. I just want to invite you to this new beginnings class that we have. Because what do you do now? You see, one of the reasons why God has this thing called the church, the church is kind of like an incubator. And what do you put in an incubator? You put babies in an incubator so that they, you know, can grow and and, and, and they, they, they stay warm and they, they grow, right? Well, the church is like, kind of like an incubator. And here you are brand new in the Lord and, and I wanna make sure that we're doing all that we can to help you grow and learn about Jesus and, and what it means to be a real follower of his or what it means to be a disciple of his. A lot of crazy weird stuff out there being taught. And so I'll invite you to this class. That's all I'm gonna do. It could be that some of you are going, you know what, man, I, I know the Lord. I, I give my life to Christ, but I haven't had a real good year. Now, I, I, can I come to that class? Yeah, you can. All you have to do is just put a little star on the card. And then just put your card in the connect box. 
We'll get those and I'll invite you. I'd love to have you come to the class. It's super cash. You sit around tables. You get to meet some of the pastors. It's, it's kind of the basics of the faith. We have one on Wednesday night, one on Sundays. So you can't, you know, we give you some options. And it's really neat to meet other people. It's just really great. But most importantly, you get to learn about the Lord and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? So you put a box on it, take that card out to the Welcome Center, pick up your Bible, or if you're a little nervous, you can always drop it in the Connect box. But if you put a star up there, just put it in the Connect box. Now, here's the deal. Don't come out to the Welcome Center and go, hey, listen, man, I know the Lord, but can I get one of those Bibles from my Uncle Joe? No. They're not for your Uncle Joe. You can go to Barnes & Noble and buy your own. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for a Christmas gift, you know, already. Stocking stuffers, you know, no. Uh, actually, we've had people go out and go, hey, listen, can I get a dozen of them? Hand out of work? <laughs> we have some other Bibles, if you'd like them, that we give out, because we give out thousands of Bibles here, but these are for those of you that made a decision today. We want to make sure that, that you, you, you get them, okay? So everybody stand up. Over in the venue, I want you to stand up and let me pray, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for today. And man, last night was great. This place was packed out last night and today. And I, I know next hour it's going to be a zoo in here. And, and it's all because of you, Jesus. It's all because of what this weekend represents. It's all because, Lord, the reality that you walked out of the grave and it proved that that you were exactly who you said you were, and that is you were God's son. You're the second person of the Holy Trinity. Father, thank you for those that made decisions here today. I look forward to getting those cards and praying for them and maybe getting to meet them in a more intimate way. And I pray this in your name, Jesus, and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Jesus.